I think what guys were trying to do is they didn't, I, I believe that the average preacher did not want their preaching to be seen as weak. And okay. good for them. Okay. Good for yeah. good for you, man. Yeah. But at the same time, cranial Christianity tends to not do a lot of good, you know, for a guy who's biblically illiterate, as most in your congregation. Across the world, most people in your congregation are biblically illiterate. And that, that you know what? That doesn't mean you water it down. Mm. What did Jesus do? Jesus taught deep truths really simply. Well, hey, and welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 133. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. And I have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Jason Cruz, not for the first time, not for the second time, but for the third time. Um, He is a three-time guest on our podcast. I always enjoy talking with him. And from the feedback that I've gotten from you guys, I know that you guys like to listen to him as well. So we have a really focused conversation um, about the topic of application. Like how can a preacher bring the truth to bear on their hearers? Um, How can we connect the wonderful heavenly realities that we're speaking of? How can we bring them down to earth into the lives of the members of our congregations? We want our sermons to be accurate, informative, and doctrinally true, but we don't want to produce disembodied cranial Christianity, right? So I know that you're going to want to grab a pen and take some notes for this one. Um, Briefly, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. It guarantees that you're going to get a fresh episode delivered to your device for free every Tuesday so that even if you forget, there'll be some good content waiting for you. Check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Just pick one. And we put out like an inspiring quote about the task of expositional preaching. Not every single day, but most days. We want to do all that we can in this podcast, on social media, in our webinars, in our face-to-face meetings to help you grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's Word. So with that in mind, here's Dr. Jason Cruz. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. Um, I am with Jason Cruz, and you guys are in for a treat. Uh, Jason is, as far as I know, the only three-time interviewee to be on the podcast. So Jason, welcome back. You know, man, I I was thinking of this t-shirt I saw one time in the 80s, growing up in the 80s, and it said, I'm huge in Japan. And and it's a a rock band t-shirt. Like, nobody knows me here, but I'm huge in Japan. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm... I think maybe in Ireland, my, at least Mike Neglia likes me. And so that's <laughs> worth moving to me, man. And uh, yeah, I, I, man, I'll, I'll tell you this, no kidding. Um, I'm so proud of what you're doing, Mike. I, I think I, I listen to your podcast. I think, I think the craft of proclaiming God, God's word is, it's not, it's, it's a calling, in, but in, even though it's a calling, it's just something, you know, we should all want to just do it better. Just simply be better at it. Yeah. And you don't get better at anything if you don't practice and you don't study and you don't sharpen the knife. And so, yeah, I, I think it's great what you're doing. I'm really proud of you. you got good content, man. Yeah, I think so. And, and you're one of them. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, yeah, this, this, podcast has to some degree, you know, taken off in certain niches, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the stats are incredibly encouraging, but 
what is amazing is this is all just conversations that I'd love to be having in real life. I just have, I'm just so I talk excited. about this stuff all the time. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I just found that people like listening. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really thrilled. And to talk about like, yeah, like the, the high calling of preaching, but also the kind of nitty gritty, um, like a, the embarrassing stories, the funny stories, but like also like, how can we get better at this? Because I think yeah. it matters so much. It does matter. Yeah. Um, hey, so you mentioned that you listen to the podcast and I know that you do because last Tuesday, it was, uh, you know, the new episode came out. It's and a great episode, man. Oh. Yeah. So it was, uh, it's called um, uh, Killing Your Darlings and Loving Your City. Oh, the title, uh, the title. I was like, I, I don't know what he's good. I don't know this guy, but I got to listen to that. Uh, well, yeah. And I know that you listened to it because I got, I got like, like an essay from you. I got the longest text message that I've gotten like since I was dating. No, actually, no, we didn't have oh, text so when funny. I was dating. No, but, we didn't. No, we didn't. Not in those days. Uh, but, but yeah. And, and like, you know, I did the math. It was like, you know, you know, early in the morning, Tennessee time. So you woke up, you listened to it. And then you gave me your enthusiastic thoughts um, oh, yeah. about it. And that kind of prompted us talking back and forth. And then now here yeah. we are. Um, having a further conversation about this. So, I mean, what, what was so like essay inspiring uh, mm. about uh, the Killing Your Darlings and Loving Your City episode? Man, I don't know, Mark. And I, I've been a U2 fan. So, I mean, literally, I'm 47 years old at the time of this recording, but I literally, like my dad saw Hendrix. He saw everybody. He saw Janis Joplin. He saw the Stones. And my dad's generation, I had heard so many people talk about, oh, I remember where I was standing the first time I heard the Beatles. Like literally, well, I remember where I was the first time I ever heard U2. And I thought and you were going to say I, the first time you heard the Expositors Collective podcast. No, no, you're not that. You're not that good. Um, but but uh, no, I was uh, I was at a, a, a NBA basketball game and going that way as in a mall headed to an NBA basketball game in the seventh grade when I heard the Joshua Tree coming out of Tower Records in the mall, and I was like, "Who is that?" And I walked in there and I said, who is that band? And the guy said, this is a group from, it's a group from Ireland called U2. And I bought the cassette, literally stuck it in my pocket and I followed U2 forever. So, um, wow. you know, it, it, it's, uh, it was interesting just hearing Mark's accent. I was like, oh, I love that guy. I don't even know him. I love him. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, what got me so fired up, I mean, I literally just felt the surge of adrenaline when he started talking about preaching to a community. In other words, you could tell what Mark was saying. You had asked him a few questions about preaching to, to Dubliners, if that's what you call them. Or, or, right. Yeah. You know, and, and I was like, absolutely. Preaching is not a theory. It's not this esoteric thing. You're preaching to plumbers and electricians and bankers and teachers and the illustrations you use, they need to match your community. The It's not some esoteric cloud-driven thing these are real moms and dads. These are real, you know, people struggling with real things. And if you can't preach to your community, well, then who can you preach to, you know? And, and so, you know, Oswald Chambers one time said, you can't serve God where you're not at. Wow. And, and, wow. um, and so I, I, I don't know. I just, then he started talking about application and my mind was going like, like, yes, go, go, you know, uh, because I'm such a, I get really fired up about, application because i think it's something that's so over misunderstood under undervalued and 
so yeah, that, that and underutilized, you could oh, say. Oh, my well, stars, too. totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Jason, I've listened to um, your um, Holy Spirit series that you mm-hmm. did, um, yeah. and you know, I, I appreciated it. It was personally encouraging, and and I think what I noticed about that too is that there was it was application oriented. Mm-hmm. And yeah, right. particularly when it comes to issues of, of the spirit and his interactions, um, oftentimes that can just be, well, you know, there's a Trinity. He's part of the Trinity. Don't, good, good you, know, you, must, you must believe in him. All right. So we're good Trinitarians. That's it. But, but yeah. it was a very practical look and yeah. a way of experiencing and living a life like with mm-hmm. God, the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if you could preach practically about the spirits, <laughs> I bet you could preach practically and applicationally about anything. So yeah, why yeah, do you the, think that's why well, no, welcome what? to Zoom conversations where everyone talks over each other <laughs> and and we're across a pond and yeah. you don't there's a delay and yeah you were um, saying that 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 particular series though um, I the Holy Spirit at least in my world the Baptist world and bat in um, you know Southern Baptist life here in America the, the Holy Spirit's kind of like uh, he's like that cousin that you're forced to invite to the family reunion but you don't know what to do with him yeah. And, you know, uh, and so I, I do, I, I did preach, a, uh, I think about a seven or eight week series on who is he and what yeah. does he do? Right, I mean, what does right. he do? He's not a holy it. So what does he do? And, and man, we got a lot of feedback from that. We really did. Yeah. So it's like a cousin that you have to invite to the reunion and you feel obligated to defend him if somebody, you know, is, is mean to him, but you don't particularly know him that well, but you know, we'll get our apologetics out and we'll argue in case someone denies him. But yeah, we got to also live and engage with him. And so, Uh well, I I appreciated that. And so kind of transitioning into, yeah, talking about application, Mm -hmm. you, you really heartily agreed when I said that application is underutilized, that Mm -hmm. preachers maybe today or, or maybe always have been, application of verse like do you agree and and what do you think about that i do agree and and i, I want to say this on the outset i know a lot of you all that are listening to me or as we say in the south a lot of y'all that are listening to me uh right now um don't know me and there's going to be some things i'm just going to say it now there's going to be some things i'm going to say that are going to sound like i'm picking a fight i, I promise i'm not i, I you know I, I but i just i deeply believe what I believe. I've studied preaching. Uh, I started preaching when I was 17 years old. I, I went from pagan to preacher in four months. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. The, I literally am one of those rare dudes that had a Damascus Road experience. And within four months, I was preaching. And I didn't, I didn't know that was out of bounds. I thought that's just normal. I, uh, you know, nobody told me, Oh no, you have to wait for a while. And, uh, and in fact, I would never have let me in the pulpit like my pastor did. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but, um, so I, I want to say some things. I just want to ask if I could ask permission, like, just don't turn the podcast off. Uh, don't stop. If you get, if I say something that makes you mad, cause I am going to say a few things that I believe and I'm not being condemning at all. I, I just, I I've watched it and I have been a student of preaching my entire uh, ministry. My doctoral work was um, a largely a, a, in the realm of communication and it matters to me. So I think I, let's start with the fact that you mentioned like, why, why do a lot of guys not pursue it? I'm going to start with the first one that I think is actually maybe people might not think about. I think a lot of guys don't, or they under, to use your word, Mike, they, they underutilize uh, application out of fatigue. Mm. 
And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I think that they work on their application at the end of their sermon prep. They, they, it's at the end of the train line when you're just, you're just ready to be in Leeds. You've been in York. You're just ready to be home, uh, you know, and you're like, I'm so sick of bouncing and hopping rails and, you know, and you've been on that line forever. And, um, Thank you for uh, the contextualized illustration. I appreciate it. I love York. We met in York. (laughs) I go to Yorkshire. We do a lot of mission work in Yorkshire. And, and, and so, um, but yeah, I think, I think so much time is given to really good exegesis and, 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 and praise God and, and, and for that. But I think, you know, like I, I'll say this now so I don't forget, like I tend, and this is the, the author in me, you know, I, uh, having written a lot of books, I tend to write the introduction and the conclusion all by themselves. Like I, I will spend a couple of hours writing the introduction not at the end of sermon prep. I'll dedicate a block of time only hmm. to that. Hmm. Um, and, and, and the reason is, I know if I, if I try to get to the intro at the, at, on Thursday or Friday, man, I'm just tired, hmm. you know, from all the mental work and pastoring. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. I've heard some people say that they leave the introduction until the end, that hmm. they want to make sure that they know what they're going to say first before they do an introduction. Like where in your work week, where in your flow is the introduction? All over the map. And, okay. and, and, and I'll tell you why. I'm a big user of Evernote. So I call Evernote my anti-forget app. Okay. Um, and okay. so I'm, I'm walking down the street. And, Ooh, I, I've got an idea for the intro and I can do it right there. And so I'll put it in Evernote, you know, for, but um, so I, I'm all over the map with that. But I do have um, I do have some structures and frameworks for introductions and I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. So, yeah, sure. but, but fatigue is one. I think, I think another one, and this is a big one. This is where I'm, it may be a little more, I, might, I, might, I don't mean to crawl on anybody's nerves, but, but I really do understand why a lot of guys are, are um, hesitant of really specific application. And it's something that you mentioned one time in one of our interviews, and I thought, man, Mike is so on to that. I think there is a secret depth feeling of it's it's watering down or it's being too felt needs mm-hmm. and 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 so uh i'm going to say something about and i tell you where i noticed this a lot truthfully so let me let me illustrate it i've worked with a lot of major christian publishers and with with stuff i've written and one of the times one of my publishers said something that really stuck with me he said, in the world of evangelicalism, when it comes to publishing, we tend to run to polar extremes. Like, we'll, he said, we tend to be late to the game. So the Christian world, we are slow to recognize a trend in society. But when we recognize it, oh boy, we're coming in with t-shirts and gummy bears and, and books. I mean, we're going to do DVD studies. Went back when that, He said, we're going to go all the way to the end. Well, here's what I think happened. When I started preaching in 1990, that year, uh, you saw that was the rise of Rick Warren and Hybels and those guys, and, and you were seeing heavy application. Well, guys ran to that. Okay, 
And then around 2000, I'm using big jumps and quantum leaps. Man. I'm just basically ballparking the dates. Mm-hmm. But around 2000 or so, you started hearing this word discipleship, 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 and, and theology and theology and theology. And what was and it, it was a reaction to the seeker movement because the church had become so seeker. Now, I'm, I can only speak in America, so please forgive sure. me on that. But it had become so seeker-driven that a lot of guys began to have a disdain for it. And so then they ran – they should have trended toward – going deeper, but they went all the way to the other side. And, and so what I see a lot of in, in a lot of rise in reform theology, which has happened a lot in the last 15 years of my life in America, there's a lot of what we call new Calvinists and they tend to be, you know, 35 and under and which is great. I've got a lot of friends that are reformed. I, I didn't yeah. threaten me at all. It's great. I love it. But, um, they tend to have kind of a, if I'm being, to use Ray Ortland, Ray's right, right up the road, and I heard Ray go off on a rant one time on, um, he said, a lot of you young Calvinists, you're just no fun to be around. And, and that's a paraphrase. He said, you, and, and it was, he was just having fun. But the, but the idea is that there is a little bit, almost to, to guys that are heavy application, there's a little bit of a uh, condescension. It's a quiet condescension. Mm-hmm. Um, because, oh, he's a felt needs preacher. Well, I'm like, well, you should read the Sermon on the Mount then, um, you know, because it starts with eight ways to be happy. And, yeah, I don't know. If Jesus did it, maybe, maybe we should back up a second. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so the second reason is you, you would say, or you're imagining that people are, they don't want to sound like Bill Hybels or they don't want to sound like that 90s, megachurch, uh, seeker-oriented. So they instead are doctrinal and doxological and Christocentric without being application-driven. Is that, am I summarizing that correctly? I would say, it's, it's, I wouldn't say, I, I obviously use Hybels as a, as a metaphor, Warren as a metaphor. There's a lot of guys that do the same thing. I think what guys were trying to do is they didn't, I, I believe that the average preacher did not want their preaching to be seen as weak. And okay. good for them. Okay. Good for yeah. good for you, man. Yeah, but at the same time, cranial Christianity tends to not do a lot of good, you know, for a guy who's biblically illiterate. As most in your congregation across the world, most people in your congregation are biblically illiterate. And that, that you know what? That doesn't mean you water it down. Mm. What did Jesus do? Jesus taught deep truths really simply. Okay. Yeah. And like you know, he, he was he was a master at the simple. And Einstein said it to himself. If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it yourself. And, and so it doesn't have to be complicated to be good. It just doesn't. And so I think a lot of guys, out of fear of being seen as a lightweight, yeah. they, they, they didn't want to do application because it felt it was too touchy-feely. Um, yeah. Okay, wow. So, yeah, thank you. So there's the fatigue because we're, we're working hard digging into the text. And it's like, well, now I worked so hard on this. Now I have to spoon feed it to you and tell you what to do with it. <laughs> there's the fatigue. Yeah. Um, then there's, yeah, I don't want to be come off as kind of weak preaching or diluted preaching. Um, certainly, I bet you have more. <laughs> I promise I do. Yeah. Um, I actually put some thoughts together because I didn't want to ramble. I would say another one is I, I do think, and all this is empirical. It's just things I've noticed about myself, mistakes I've made. And, and I think also a, a third one I would say is guys are frozen by a fear of overreaching. And, 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 and I agree with that. Like you've seen how many times have you and I listened to sermons and we've been like, 
That's a good point, but boy, that had nothing to do with Malachi 3. Mm. You know, I mean, mm. they're so far, they've gone too far. And, and so um, I'll swing back to that in a minute. And I think, uh, but I, I will say the big one, this is, this is my, this, if I had, um, uh, if I had a little bit of a, a stump to, to, to stand on for a second, I would say one of the reasons that I see guys neglect application is, and I'm really conscious of who I'm talking to because I'm talking to preachers and I am one and, and I'm, I, and the last thing I would ever want to do is sound like I know it all because nobody needs to know it all. And I listen, man, I, I promise you this is I'm not being funny when I say I realized from the early high school days all the way through doctoral work that I was never the best student in the classroom. I really do mean that I knew I wasn't. So I had to work harder. And so I don't want to sound like I know it all because I don't, but I would say one of the biggest reasons that I think people don't or preachers don't use application is what I would say is honestly uh, an infected view of the aim of preaching. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I know that's a big statement, um, but let, let me tell you what I mean by that. The, the, in, in Jason Cruz's simple opinion, the goal of preaching is not better theology, Mike. It's not, it, it, and it's not doctrinal purity. Do we want good theology? Well, yeah, because yeah. what you believe drives how you behave. I tell my congregation all the time, what you believe drives what you do. What you believe drives what you do. So that's why theology matters. But what I've seen, especially in the last 15 years in a lot of, a lot of preachers, but especially guys newer to the ministry, there's this thing about doctrinal purity and, and, and there's a lot of guys reading a lot of guys that are heavily reformed. And, and out of that, what I always tell them is just remember that justification by faith is not the end goal of Christianity. (laughs) Okay. The end goal of Christianity is Jesus. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so what I hear in a lot of younger guys at times, and I'm not picking on the younger guys cause I hear it in older guys too. But what I hear in a lot of guys at times is, is, um, that they, they really, the gospel, it, this is a little bit risky and I know that it is, but I swear I feel it. I hear dudes at times it's in, it's almost like the gospel is a theory to them. It, it, and, and I'll tell you how it shows up, Mike. It shows up in things like, um, you, at least in America, you hear the word gospel prefaced by everything. Gospel parenting, gospel nutrition, gospel music, gospel CrossFit. This, yeah, oh, that's, yeah. that's gospel car buying. And I'm like, wait, dude, wait a minute. So they're, they're trying to filter out. The, the, and and there's, a, there's a lot of people in America, there's a lot of preachers in America that are incredibly prescriptive when it's who's in the cool kids club. And that's where the fight in me comes out because they're they're telling they're telling the rest of the preachers oh no that guy knows preaching oh no but that guy doesn't oh no he's a good preacher so they're 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 these guys that have almost become pharisaical and who's the good preachers okay you know Mm -hmm. and it really bothers me because when when i hear when i hear people that are heavy on theology what I want to say to them is good for you. I really mean it. Great that you're good on theology, but understand something. In fact, I had a, a guy one time I told him something. He was, he was just obsessed with the Reformation. 
and 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 it's it's a good thing there's worse things to be obsessed about that's for sure mm-hmm. um but but i said hey l- let me tell you something brother i said I, I i have been doing this for 28 years and let me tell you what's sitting in your congregation right now they don't care about the reformation mm-hmm. now they should by the way mm-hmm. so I'm good point yeah you. They, they, they should care but let me tell you what that guy in the pew is trying to do He's trying to have sex with the same woman he's married to and not another woman, okay? He's trying to pay his bills. He's trying to get his kids through school. He's trying to hold down a job. If you cannot help, he's trying to help his kid stay off social media in a world that's out to get him, get their son or daughter. If you can't help him do that, he's never going to get to your reformation. Yeah. And so now does that mean you water it down? Never. But you've got to meet this guy where he lives. And if you don't do that, what does it matter that you're able to understand, to able to explain Tulip? Who gives a rip? Yeah, the yeah. guy's a mechanic. He's a plumber. He's an investment banker. And he's biblically illiterate. But he is coming to your church every Sunday. Right. It's because he wants to. Yeah. And so, so what I would say is um, what I see, you know, Warren Wiersbe said something one time, Mike, that floored me. And it was in an article he wrote in the 70s. But I read it about his preaching. I, I read it a few years ago, but he wrote it in the 70s, and this is what he said. He said, I've given up the need to try and find the golden nugget that nobody's ever found in the text. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, wow, what a humble statement. Warren Wearsby. He said, I've given up the need to come to the pulpit with this wow truth that nobody in 700 years of preaching has ever found, but I found it. Yeah. You know, yeah. no, it, it, I think it is one of those things where um, this content. So, so I, I think when it comes to, I think the infected aim of preaching is that what I see in a lot of men is that they really do believe, and this is a big deal. They really do believe that if we can, if we can just get our people to believe the right things, then somehow the behavior will change. And my response to that is, well, rape has been on the law books for a long time, but it's never stopped a rapist. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the, the truth is theology does matter. It's how you package it and that is where application comes in wow well jason as as someone who has not one not two but three reformation tattoos i really need to to hear again and again um, that kind of truth and to realize that yes it's important to me yes it's exciting yes it's a pivotal movement in uh in the church of of christ however most people don't care and they, and you're right. Really don't. And and you know what? They, they kind of don't need to. Or like it's it's fine if they don't, because I think the the value of the Reformation is connecting ordinary people with like the life transforming word of God. And, and so if we just yes. skip over that and then just say, "Isn't the Reformation great?" Because what it did, but without like embracing the Reformation gift of Scripture to us, communicated you know clearly in our contemporary language, then to the believer. I mean, it, 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 you know, Luther was incredibly practical. 
I mean, in a lot of those things that he was trying to, and I don't need a priest. I don't need structures, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and so, but, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm anti-reform. I am most certainly not. I, I Hey, listen, at the heart of it all, I mean, even as a, a, a Southern Baptist, uh, we're, we, we all, listen, man, if you believe the word of God, you're going to have reformation blood in you. Right. Mm. So no, my point is it's how it's packaged out. What gets me, Mike is I, I don't like the condescension that I see coming from a lot of American preachers. I can't speak to people in Europe, but it's, it's a doctrinal purity issue. And this is what I tell a lot of my friends that are super obsessed with that. I'm like, let me tell you what's going to happen, brother we're going to get to heaven and we're going to realize on some level we were all heretics. Okay. Um, you know, and, and we're just doing the best we can. Um, and, and that's why I've, I've, one thing I've loved about Piper is that I think John Piper is a humble man. I, I, I see him as a, a, a very humble guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sure seems that way. Yeah. And, and so, um, so those are, I would say those are the kind of the, the issues of why got most guys don't, pursue yeah application yeah well hey, can i can i tell you a story about yesterday oh, I love this stories. is fresh this is like yeah. this is like 30 hours ago this is this is oh, awesome. um well my math is bad but it's a day and a half ago but so like i i wrote my sermon i, I really try to finish my sermons by thursday night and okay. um i've Good actually switched around my my day off um sabbath um so now i have friday off and then and then saturday is you know mostly off um, and so I, I like leave, I don't leave the office until Thursday night when my sermon is finished. So I've stayed here till midnight before, cause I don't want to uh-huh. leave until I get this thing done anyway. Mm. So I finished the sermon on Thursday and then I kind of let it sit on Friday. I, I send it off to kind of the peer review team, which, um, is that, talk I, about that that's so awesome. Yeah. You know, I send it to a lot of people. Most people don't even open the file, <laughs> but, but some do. And, and I get some really valuable feedback from, uh, oh, that's so from great. people. But so there, there's that. Um, I sent it off. I, you know, didn't think about it much on Friday. Saturday night, I, I opened up my laptop. I looked at it one last time before bed. And I thought, this is what I thought. Hmm, this is a really good commentary on John chapter 10. This has a lot of really interesting stuff, but I kind of looked at it and thought, you know what? This is not a sermon yet. There's nothing like sermony about this. I could publish this as like a, a paper, mm-hmm. but it's not a sermon. And a lecture. Yeah. And, and it's all true. There wasn't a word that was, that wasn't, you know, you Absolutely. said that when we get to heaven, you'll find out that you're a heretic, but brother, I'm not a heretic. You know? <laughs> um, but I, it was all accurate. And then I went, I went to bed and I prayed, you know, Lord, give me, give me something to add to this that can make this a true sermon for your people tomorrow morning. And, and I, I wake up super early on Sundays. I think you do as Me well. Um, and so, you know, from, from four onwards, I just kind of like right. yeah. read it over and, and just tried to pray that God help me to turn this into a sermon. And really, I feel like, you know, he highlighted some, some specific areas in the life of, of my church right now that John 10, the Good Shepherd, really addresses. And I, I walked into the pulpit later on um, yesterday morning with like such confidence. I was like, I know my content is accurate. And I know that I have like two specific yes. points of application about what this means for us as a community right now. Mm-hmm. And like just this confidence that comes with that. Mm. There's like, and you know, you know what you did right there though, Mike, what you mm. did though, that's the difference between being an academician and a pastor. 
Hmm. Uh, a, a, a pastor is a guy that loves his people, just like in, you, Mark in your last podcast. That guy was a pastor. He's a pastor to the Dubliners. And mm-hmm. so you're trying to bring it home to them versus, you know, Scott said it one time, I've been a big student of Scott. And I just had lunch the other day with RT Kendall. And, um, and, that, and, and so he, he, he lives here nearby in Franklin. And so that was kind of, that was kind of ironic to be sitting across the table from that, that dude. Um, if you, for those of you listening, if you, he was the, he followed Martin Lloyd Jones at Westminster Chapel. Yeah. And, uh, but um, Stott said, after I do the sermon, he said, his words were, now I arrange it for hearing. I love John Stott saying that arrange yeah. it to be heard. Right. right. Oh, I love it. Yeah. 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 Cause it's, again, it's not a, it's not a paper to be delivered, but it's a, it's an oral proclamation. And you know, also that means that we can't have the nuance that we might have if we're writing a book where a yeah. person. I'm can, not just preaching to, to give away theory. I yeah. really, that's why application matters to me so much. I really do want to help a person take what Jesus said or Paul said or Nehemiah and actually use it on Tuesday in a sales meeting. Right. I, yeah. I really do. Yeah. 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 Well, Hey Jason, can you like help us to do this? Like, <laughs> so I think we've maybe established a, a case or exposed uh, many of us, especially those with Reformation tattoos, um, about our maybe our avoidance or or reluctance um, towards it. But like, can you can you help us out? Like, how can we oh, apply I don't know. the doctrine that we that we love? How can we apply it yeah. to the hearers in our churches? Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, th- these are just these are just um, my opinions. Um, I'm I'm not an expert at it, and I and I don't say that fault to be falsely humble. I'm not an expert at it. I, I see myself as a lifelong learner, and and you use the exact right word. You, I I don't want anybody to think I was picking on reformers. I think you're exactly right. You know what I love? You know what I love about people who are deep in reform theology? You use the word reluctance, and mm-hmm. it is that's exactly right. And you know why? Because they people that I know that are deep, more deep than I am into Reformed theology, they don't want to misrepresent the holiness of God. Mm. And buddy, listen, praise the Lord for that. Don't ever lose that. Um, um, But as far as application goes, I would say a couple of things. One, this goes back to your definition of expository preaching, whatever your definition is. But I, I have... I follow John Stott's definition of expository, which I think was the best one ever. Um, Phillips Brooks had some good stuff and, you know, Haddon Robinson had some great things, but Stott basically said exposition is not a running commentary. Exposition has to do with an idea, basically that everything you speak comes out of the passage. And so I would say first, first and foremost, if you want to, learn to apply better what I have to, and this takes a lot of discipline, man, I'm not going to lie. You've got to, Discipline yourself that your application points have got to come out of the passage, Um, meaning that you can't invent new ways to apply it. You know, in other words, um, as Haddon Robinson one time said, a good truth, but applied in the wrong way. Mm, Yeah. yeah, And so, so, um, so, I, you know, uh, as we've all known and heard many times, a passage can never mean what it never meant. Yeah, and and yeah. so when you when you know I can preach verse by verse through through First Peter or one Peter as you guys would say yeah. uh, I could go I could go uh, verse by verse through one Peter and be a heretic the whole time 
verse by verse doesn't save me from heresy. Uh, no. So, so for me, um, I would say application comes out of the, the, the passage um, and, and don't force it. I mean, if you get to the end of your sermon prep or you're working through your sermon prep and you think, wow, I only have one really good application point. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's fine. You don't need seven. Mm-hmm. No, nobody ever got mad at the preacher for quitting early, you know, and, and so, yeah. yeah, you know, uh, so if you just get one, awesome, mm-hmm. let it stand. Um, but I, I would say that's one. I, I would tell you another one that I do a lot. Uh, I would say use props and visuals. Uh, man, I'm telling you, uh, you know, God gave us five senses, but isn't it interesting that as preachers, we only want to run our mouth? You know, and and so, listen, man, it's weird to say I cannot imagine preaching without the use of imagery. I spend at least probably two hours a week on crafting the images that you see above me and beside me. Um, So, for instance, if I'm going to quote my Neglia, I'm never going to quote you. I'm going to show what you said. I'm going to show a picture of your face. Mm. I, I, if it's if it's Spurgeon, if it's if it's anybody, if if it's a, a politician, if it's Bono, I will literally put Bono's face up there and the quote. I, I you know I I use visuals all the time. Just a few days ago, I was talking about idolatry, and I I mentioned how your life will take on the form of what you trust. So I took a chair. I put a chair up on stage, and I said, for me to trust this chair to hold my weight, if you'll notice, my body has to conform to the form of the actual chair. So your life will take on the shape of whatever you're trusting. You know, and so that image of a chair, because my body physically looks like a chair in that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I use, and, and let me tell you, and I mean this with a full heart, and I mean this with as much conviction as I could say it. I believe every preacher on planet Earth right now would be a better communicator by this Sunday if they just use more visuals. Because you're preaching for the eye, not just the mind. Because think about men, and I've done a lot of research on this. If you want to reach a man, go through his eyes. He, he connects visually. And, and so that's been proven psychologically. Go through his eyes. Get him to see it, and yeah. then he can make an intellectual connection. Uh, okay. Now, how? question, how does this make – um, application easier to use these visuals or these like are, are you talking more about this like illuminating explanations or how can you can you give an example of connecting a visual or a prop with an application so really what props and visuals are are good bridges okay they're really they're really good bridges so I was talking the other day about idolatry and tr- I, I'm doing a series right now on the Sermon on the Mount and and I was talking about your cravings. Okay. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so I was trying to show what does that look like. Because sometimes people, you need to allow them to make the mental connections on their own. And that, you know, but that's a little bit dangerous in this context of this conversation, because sometimes we just assume they'll get it. 
Yes. Well, not always they will. They don't always assume that they'll get it. But in that particular case, I was trying to prove that your cravings will dictate what you do. Your, your life will follow the trajectory of your cravings. Okay. Okay. So I, I used a chair to kind of bridge that thought. Um, so that's more of, of preaching for the eye to draw them in more so than anything, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And you know, I I love what you were saying, Jason, about like assuming that people get it. It's like, maybe this could fit in the the first half, the earlier part of our conversation too, about why often preachers are reluctant to be using, um, these kind of application type things. I, I think it's because as, as, sometimes for me personally, speaking personally or others, like we, we live in the text for the whole week, you know, that it's, you know, we, 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 on some occasions stay into the office until midnight, you know, because we're, we're digging so deep into it and thinking about it. And what seems obvious to us after hours upon hours of thinking about it, it wasn't obvious to us the first time that we heard it. And it, and it, and it took a while for us to get there. And so we think it's obvious that we think, it's patronizing to point this out as a, as a way of application because it's so obvious, but it wasn't obvious to us when we first encountered the passage. It took us hours to get there. And so what is, we have to kind of take people by the hand and help them to see in 30, 40 minutes what it took us a couple of hours sometimes to come to those conclusions. So, so if they can make a visual connection, it's okay. that much faster. Hmm. Hmm. It's that much faster, yeah, but, uh, yeah. uh, which goes to Mark Smith's point the other day when he said, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but he said, uh, he, I literally went back and listened and said, what did that guy just say? Yeah. He said, never assume a hearing. Hmm. Never assume. They don't owe you that anymore. You know, 50 years ago, W.A. Criswell stood in the pulpit in First Baptist Texas, uh, First Baptist Dallas, and people, he could assume a hearing. He yeah. was W.A. Criswell. Not, not, Jason Cruz can't assume yeah. that. Yeah. Didn't he, didn't he preach like a 24 hour sermon once? I think he has like the, I don't doubt it. I think I he has like the, the Guinness I, record for like longest sermon preached. There's no telling what that guy, that guy was amazing. Um, I, I would say another, another issue about how to make application better for me. I would say this is a big one. This helped me a lot as uh, I've just kind of crafted it over the years, but I would say make your points application, not information. Okay. Now, mm. I'm going to unpack that for a minute. So often, if you look at the points of your sermon, and listen, all, all these things I'm doing and talking about, it's coming out of pain because <laughs> it's what I did. Uh, now we're talking about the difference between being a, an expositor versus being a communicator, okay. right? And, and an exegete versus grabbing somebody by the heart. You know, even Stott. Stott didn't want people taking notes. Can you imagine? This guy's such an academician. Stott's like, no, no, no. The sermon's supposed to be experienced. Mm. He literally said that, and that's John Stott, wow. you know, and, and he didn't want to take a note. No, no, you got to live in the moment. So if I want to reach into their heart and grab it and squeeze that sucker, you know, I, I want to, mm. all right, so how do I do that? Well, for so often my sermon points I noticed would be in, informative. So I'll give you an example. This is how I do it. I actually, this is going to sound really strange to some guys, Let's go back to that guy sitting in the pew. And what a beautiful point you just made, Mike. We've been 14, 15 hours into this gig. Yeah. They, dude, they've been arguing with their wife on the way to church. Their kid <laughs> has had issues at school. They've had a horrible week at work, and they came to church, and they, hadn't, they haven't picked up the scriptures. 
you know, maybe, maybe if, if at all. Yeah. Okay. So by the time I get through the historical context, the genre and all the other things, I'm 12 minutes in and that dude's going, what in the world does this yeah. even mean? Yeah. So does that mean we don't, does context not matter? Well, of course context matters. But how about this? Flip it. What I do is I start often with applications. So I give you a, 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 a I'll give you a, a, a I, I knew you were going to ask me about this, so I've, I've got something ready. Um, I'll often ask myself a question in prep in my sermon gauntlet. I'll, I'll call, I'll ask a question. Why does this matter to God? So when, when God says, thou shalt not steal. Is it just because he doesn't want me to take stuff? No. Hmm. Why does this matter to God? And that goes back to painting a picture of the heart of God, right? Uh, so not long ago, I was preaching this, a long series through Nehemiah. And the topic of this, this the, 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 I mean, excuse me, the title of the sermon was how to pray when under, how to pray when the enemy attacks. All right, because I'm a big believer in titles. Your sermon title has got to make a guy want to listen, especially in the podcast world. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when, you, when, you did, when you did the other day, Killing Your Darlings, I'm like, I'm, I'm in. What's that about? The, the, the title grabbed me. Sure, and sure. As, as, an, as an author, I work hard on every book I write on the title, but nonetheless. Um, so when I preached on how to pray when the enemy attacks, one of my points was, Pray aggressively for God's kingdom to be advanced. Okay, now that's, so what do you mean? So now notice there's action as a verb. Pray aggressively for the kingdom to be advanced. Because here's what I know. Americans tend to pray for relief. Hmm. We, right. we, we, when, and that's human nature. We just want God to stop. God, will you stop this? I don't want to go through the pain. Well, then I begin to teach them about sovereignty. So I literally backed into the theology, if that okay, makes sense. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what I do is I start with application. I was taught in seminary many moons ago, start with your exegesis and work your way to application. Well, they're out of the loop by that time in a Twitter world. and 140 characters, they're done. Sure, sure, yeah. So I, I start with application, pray aggressively for God's kingdom to be advanced, and then I walked backward into, if you will learn to submit to God's sovereignty— Instead of praying for you to try to manipulate a situation because you're so obsessed about the outcome, you just want it to stop. When Sanballat attacked, Nehemiah didn't say, oh, God, make him stop. Hmm. No, yeah. he, was, he, he did not pray that. And, yeah. and so, yeah. so my, my actual sermon points were application. And then, I, I, as we say in America, we, I reverse engineered it back to theology. And now this is why that matters to God, because God is more concerned about advancing his kingdom than he is mm-hmm. your comfort. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, wow. Wow, yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's different. You know, some would say, let me, uh, let me be a, an imagined no, interlocutor totally. here to say that's not what Paul did, though. Paul has theology up front, mm-hmm. application in the back. And so, you know. Usually, yep, usually. So, mm-hmm. so Jason, are you suggesting that Times have changed so much that now we need to, to reverse it. No, I'm just saying don't be in a rut. Okay, okay. M- most guys have a rut of preaching. And, but let's take Jesus. Let's go back to Sermon on the Mount. Right <laughs> out of the gate. Yeah. Here's how to be happy. Mm-hmm. And, then he, okay. and then he worked toward the why. Okay. Paul was the theologian, and he worked toward the application. 
And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, just, if I could say it in a practical way, just, man, don't spend 20 minutes on historicity. Right, right. Come on, they're, they're gonna, they're gone. Um, and, and so I, I think, um, I think a lot of it is just if, if mixing your sermons up and, and being able to, to do both in, in a short amount of time, as long, I, I just think, I think a lot of us would be better at application if we just wouldn't get so hung up on historical context. Hmm, okay. Um, and, and, and yeah, don't, and don't provocative. Hear me say, that's, that's provocative. Don't, don't, don't hear me say context, historical context doesn't matter. Yeah. It does matter. Yeah. But if you're going to get to that in 30 minutes, sure. Y- you better figure out a way to make that banker want to hear what Jesus had to say about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Or, or should the historical context, should it largely stay at your desk? You know, like, like we certainly need to be immersed in the world of the first century and, mm-hmm. you know, what a doulos was and, and all that kind of thing. But be selective as to what makes it, you know, because a, a sermon mm-hmm. is so so short, you know, and we have to be selective in what we say and select only what, what is necessary for making that point. What a, what a great truth you said. And you, it, you, it goes back to something you said a minute ago. Um, you've spent many hours with this thing. Yeah. Nobody cares about it as much as you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and so, you, you, know, you know, you're right, Mike, there's often... I'll go through my sermon toward the end of the week and I'll say, okay, what can I leave out? Like what, what, what just doesn't need to be talked about? Yeah. And it's amazing. If I have, if I'm honest with myself, I'm going to say, ah, that's, that's a little more historical than they, and you know, does it matter? Yes, it matters. It just doesn't matter in that moment as much as I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, listen, there's no axiom. There's no prescription for that. You just kind of have to um, do the best you can. And that's what I really mean about, I think with application, we are doing the best we can. Um, we, we really are. Um, I, I, I'll mention another one. You ask about ways to make application better. And um, I would say be really, you and I've talked about this before. I would say be really specific with your calls to action. Okay. So often what I hear preachers do is they say uh, things like, let the word do the work. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so you're saying when I talk to my teenage son, I, I, I'll need to let the word do the work. I, I, I don't really know what Jason meant when he said sure. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse, or things like, I hear a lot of guys do this, show grace. Okay. Uh, I uh, okay. And it frustrates people. But, but let me tell you why a lot of guys do that. It's safe. They're, they're able to not have to overreach or they don't want to go too far. So I'll give you a perfect example, in my opinion. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I was making early on in my preaching life was that what I thought was good application was just really well-explained theology. Um, and, and, um, so I'll give you an example. So when Jesus talks about, you know, if, if you go to give your gift at the altar and you discover somebody's angry with you or you're, you got something against somebody, leave your gift at the altar. And then, you know, we all know that passage, leave your gift, go make it right. They'd come back and give your gift. Right. So 
if that's the context of what you're preaching on, here's, a, I think, a great way to, talk about, to be specific with your call to action. Remember but what I said, make your application come out of the Scripture. Don't yeah. bring it into the Scripture. Okay, so if Jesus is telling us to leave our gifts at the altar and go find your brother, a great way to say that in a point of application is call the person today. Okay. Hmm. Call the person today. Yeah. See, to me, that's an action item that also fits within. I didn't have to reach outside the verse to get there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because Jesus said, go to them. Okay, so, or you can even say in your application, text them for reconciliation. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's an action item yeah. Yeah. based on something Jesus said, go, go do it. Right. Um, yeah. or, or another one might be in that idea of, of go and leave your gift at the altar. Um, I've used this many times. Repent for internalized anger. Now, that's a little more explanatory than just mm-hmm. stop mm-hmm. being mad. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Re- repent for internalized anger. Anger is a natural human emotion. We're all allowed to be angry. But I've let it take up residence. It's got an address in my heart. Yeah. And, and so, um, or another one might be when you talk about leaving your gift at the altar, when it, in terms of good application, crave obedience more than you crave justice. So, so think, think about this. Now, now, now I'm going to say that again, crave obedience more than you crave justice. Now, See, I don't like I, that. Don't, don't say it again. It makes me, I don't like yeah. it. <laughs> so, so think about this. When you're angry with somebody who's wronged you, what do you want? What do I want? Listen, I am at my creative best when I am plotting revenge. Okay. I, I, I mean, I am at my creative best. And, and so, so I want them to feel the pain in the human form. I want them to know what they did was wrong. And you know what? You're right. They were wrong. They were wrong. But Jesus said, leave my gift at the altar and go make it right. Okay, so then I've got to crave obedience to the Lordship of Christ more than I do craving them to be wrong and feel the heat. And know it, yeah. And know it. i got to crave being obedient. That's application that comes. It's born out of the text. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, okay, yeah. That's, is, is, is there more or is that it? I, know I, got, more. I, got, I got two more. Then I'll make it quick. Yeah. Um, I, I would say this is more... Uh, more emotional for, for us as preachers. Just real quick, I would say, um, if you're going to start really trying to be a pastor from the pulpit, okay. if, if you're really going to be a pastor to the, to the context of your community and you're going to preach application, and by the way, I don't mean sermons that are all application. We're not saying that. You and I sure, haven't sure. said that it's all application and nothing else. No, we're saying it's just so, it's a, your, that your application is as solid as your exegesis has been. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. If, if your application is, is, is that much a part of the sermon, then here's the issue. I would say be ready for resistance. And, and here's what I mean by that. Because if you're going to start talking about their sex life, you're going to start hitting real close to home. Right. In a way that telling people to show grace that's it's not going to be. Yeah, that's what yeah. I meant. It's let, the word, let, let the word do its work. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. sexual ethics. Well, actually, sexual ethics is fine. Sexual practice. Sexual. sexual yeah. Sexual ethics lives in the cloud. Yeah. I, yeah. You're right. Yeah. But okay. all of a sudden, when I start saying, "Show sexless affection to your wife," hmm. oh, I know. Hold on a minute. 
you know, uh, uh, I'm getting real close to home, man. Okay. But why, why did the Pharisees, why were they incensed at Jesus? Dude, he hit them in the gut <laughs> with his application. Um, you, you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy. You sons of hell. <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, he, he talked about you will travel over land and sea to make a convert and you'll tie up heavy burdens on people's shoulders, but you won't even lift a finger to help them. I mean, dude, he, that was close to home, brother, you know, um, and just the last one I would say, and, and this, this is, this is, this is, I'm not saying anything to you because you're honestly, I think a pro at it. Um, you are, I think you're a pro at it. Uh, I, I, I would say uh, study communication, not just preaching. Okay. Study communication. Um, how what's the, to what's be the difference? A, how can someone do that? Uh, okay, I'll give you a perfect example. I, I, you know, I, I, as a writer, as a, somebody that has always, I mean, I've, I've, I've been writing since I was in high school. I was first published in high school and, and, and writing, I don't know, I just loved it. I loved writing. I loved the written word. So about four or five years ago, no, about three years ago, I started taking some writing models yeah. and using them for sermon frameworks. Um, so, for instance, you've seen this a million times in your life in a radio commercial or television commercial i'll give you a perfect example okay um it's called the problem agitation solve it's the oldest communication model in the world pas problem agitation solve it present a problem agitate it solve yeah. it so yeah. here, here, here's how it's, here's how guys have heard it are you over 40 do you experience emotional uh depression are you tired is your sex drive a little low oh that's the problem maybe you have low testosterone that's the agitation. You need androgel. Okay, so they presented a problem. They got you shaking your head. Yeah, I'm over 40. Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, my sex mm. drives down. Uh, oh, androgel. Mm. Wow. Mm. So mm. what I began, sometimes I'll do is I'll take, I, I, I'll look at these communication models. I'll give you another example. Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King Jr. was a I've never seen anybody better than him when it comes to commanding an audience. But here's how that guy would often do it. He would step up, go back on YouTube, look at it. He would go up, pull up more than the March on Washington, pull up any other of his presentations. He would step up to that podium and sometimes he wouldn't say a word for 15 seconds. Oh, he would just start looking at, he would, his eyes would sweep across the crowd now, 15 seconds is a long time. And it was his way, I think, of saying, y'all better sit down because something's coming. Mm. And it arrested that audience mm. when he just stood there for five, ten seconds. And he, and he wasn't looking down. He wasn't saying, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist. No. He didn't say a word, and he looked them all in the eye, and he would scan, and they would, and they would, they would settle. And so that's a communication technique. You're not going to find that in, in Deuteronomy, you know. Um, so I, I just say, be a good student of communication as much as you are exegesis and homiletical books. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. it's yeah. Think I'm. I'm glad that you brought in those like two different examples. One of which from the world of like you know writing. And then the other from, from this, like, I was going to say spoken communication, but rather 
unspoken communication. So, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, as, as preachers, we do both. We're not just public speakers. We're also writers. We're yeah. writing our content. We're totally writers. We got to put work into, and I think this is maybe something different people air on different areas, but you know, some people spend way too much time on the preparation, not enough time on the, on the communication. And then some say not a lot of stuff, but they say it really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, they can communicate Preach really for an hour well. and say nothing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, to, to have that multi-orbed thing. And, and you know, the, ta- the tagline of this podcast is, you know, your personal study, help, helping you grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. And oh, so it's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. the personal study, that's the, that's the writing. Mm-hmm. And public proclamation—that's that's the speaking. So, and we have yeah. different episodes that focus more on one or or the other. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's a it's it's, mul- it's multifaceted. It's multi-orbed. Yeah, you've got to gain a hearing. You know, as Mark said in this last in the last episode, never assume a, a hearing. You know, I, I work as much on my introduction in the first ninety seconds. Man, I'm yeah. trying to tell them you really do need to know this. That's right. Um, yeah. You know, and here's why. You know, and so yeah, I think, and that's a communication issue. I mean, if I can't get them, if I can't get them in the hook, yeah, my movies yeah, yeah. have trailers, right? That's why movies have trailers. If I can't get them in the hook in the first, and, and I live in that, you know, literally in the shadow of Nashville, Tennessee, literally, Mike, I've got one of my best friends is a historically famous songwriter. Literally, I could rattle off all kinds of songs that guy's written, and he will tell you. There's even some producers that have an algorithm of how fast when the song hits the radio in the first like eight seconds, it's got to get to the hook. They're right. If it doesn't, psychologically, it doesn't connect. Wow. Wow. So some, some of them are that prescriptive, and it's that much of a math issue. Now, that's, I think that's overboard. But my point course, is, yeah. you know, I work really hard on introductions. I work really hard on closings. Why? Those are communication issues. Those aren't exegetical issues. That is me being a pastor to my people, trying to get them to actually go do it. Yeah. 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 And, and, and my wife, um, you know, she's told me many times that like, even if the sermon's not that great, if you got a strong conclusion, then people are going to remember it as a good one. You know, and this is on the, you know, driving home after me sobbing as I'm, oh, it was terrible. And she's like, well, well, did it end well? Yeah, I guess so. But the middle, yeah. she's like, well, that's fine. <laughs> you know, and, and of course, well, you've got a more. smart wife. The middle matters. The middle does matter. The but, middle matters. But the, the beginning calling people, you know, all aboard, like, come on board. And then even at the end, someone calls it, um, putting a lid on the, on the learning. Um, Jody Ponce mm. says that. Um, yeah. So we put the, the lid on it and we summarize it, we conclude it. Yeah. So it's yeah. everything matters. It's, it's sticky. Everything matters. It's but, sticky. Yeah. 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 The front and, and the back may, end are pretty important. Oh, and your wife, man, what, what a treasure to have a wife that can bring home clarity for you. No kidding. I'm not saying that to be just, uh, you know, patronizing. I mean, really, that's, she's exactly right. No, if you can land that sucker, yeah. you know, and cause sometimes the, the middles, you're, you, know, you get lost a little bit and, you know, but, but yeah, if you can teach them, um, you know, my goal as I'm getting older is that on Thursday, they still remember the one big deal. Oh man, what a win. If, if that's the case, what oh. a win telling you yeah yeah you know and, and i'm i'm teaching through john now and a couple of years ago i did a, a topical series or not i did a series on the seven i am statements in john mm-hmm. so i am covering content that i've done two years ago and i had this real moral quandary you know once i came to i am the bread of life back in chapter six i was like well i've i've covered this two two and a half years ago so i have to have new things to say and i and then i kind of realized 
there is not a person in the room, including myself, who who remembers all of what I said two and a half years ago. So, psychologists psychologists say that you forget eighty seven percent of what you hear in the first seven minutes. Oh, okay, well, which is it makes our it makes it that's an that's a we we all need prescription medication after hearing that because <laughs> as preachers, you know, but 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 yeah, it's so true. You know, I have given myself permission to say things. You know what? I say things over and over and over again all throughout the year. Why? Because I they have to hear it or they don't they don't it they, they finally hear it for the first time. They finally hear it for the first time. I've been saying it forever, yeah. but they finally hear it for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, thank you very much. I, I really, I've, I've loved this. You know, my, my hope was that this could be something that I could be learning from. So I've learned already. And the fact that others are going to get to listen to this and benefit is, is a real added bonus. I just, I just want to say, man, um, I listen to a lot of your guys that you interview and they push me and they make me think, and there's times I don't agree or there's times I'm like, I don't know if I even agree or if I don't know what I think about that, but that's the point. I think for all of us in this thing, we're just trying to get better. Thank you very much, Jason. Um, how can people, actually, how can people get in touch if people disagree with you so much that they want to write you an angry email or an email of thanks? Uh, how can they get in touch? How can they hear those sermons? How can they, how can they, so know, on Twitter, yeah. Social media, I, I've got a, you know, having done what I did in the media world and even as a writer, you know, I've, I've got a pretty, I mean, I don't know, it, it, I've got a pretty large Twitter, Twitter following, but social media kind of drains me. Okay. And so, um, I, 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 Twitter, yeah, uh, at Jason L, as in Larry, Jason L. Cruz. Um, but, you know, clearview.org, our church is clearview, C L E A R view, clearview.org. And our sermon, if, if you are interested for whatever reason, I, I listen to a lot of preachers too. Just, I just love learning. But um, our, our sermon player is you can pull it down by topic, you can pull it down by scripture, you can pull it down by verse. There's mm-hmm. a lot of ways to pull up series. Um, and so uh, our sermon player is that's one way, but um, yeah, my my email is Jason at clearview.org and and I would I would I would love to um, know what you think because I we you know I teach my staff this all the time. As ministers, we get criticized constantly, so it makes us very jaded toward feedback. Mm-hmm. But criticism and feedback are not the same thing. Feedback is there to make you better. Yeah, and so yeah. It, 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 if 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 somebody heard something today that need to give me feedback, oh please, because I want to sharpen my knife, man, and and I do, and so yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, clearview.org is is our our site. Well, thanks again to Jason. It's always a privilege and a a joy to speak to you. Um, if you guys want to hear more from him, there'll be links in the show notes, not only to his um, sermon feed from his church in Tennessee, but also episode 92 and 93 of the Expositors Collective podcast. You can hear me and him speaking on other topics as well. Um, hey, here's a teaser clip for next Tuesday's episode. Um, I speak with one of the most enthusiastic, one of the most heartfelt people that I know, um, Sebastian Frappier. Um, He uh, is in the great white north of Canada, and he speaks about a lot of passionate subjects incredibly passionately. So here's a teaser for what's coming next Tuesday. I fell in love with acting and then, you know, I did the, 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 the TV shows and obviously all these texts are superficial. And quickly as a young actor, I wanted texts 
that would really mean something. So I fell into the classics and I became, you know, a specialized Shakespearean actor. Yeah. And, and that's why I went to London and studied Shakespeare because those texts resemble some of the passionate yeah. truths yeah. found in the scriptures. So when I became a Christian and I started to teach the Bible, I thought, you know what? I have the greatest text. Now okay. I okay. have the ultimate lines before me mm. and they're not lies because when I was doing Shakespeare and I was doing Henry V battling for France and battling for God, yeah. I didn't think I was being not authentic. I thought these are powerful emotions that are real for every human being. When you preach the gospel, you know that this there's nothing more true and no, nothing more radical than the word of God. And so I completely understand what you're saying, that the risk of being fake yeah. and, you know, pretending that we believe that God is who he is and his word is what it is. But I know, I mean, like you, like, I mean, that's what we have in common as we speak over the last couple of days in New York, as we're, you know, going to eat pizza and just how, how much we love God, how much we love mm -hmm. his word. So it, it wasn't a problem. For yeah. Me. Okay. It, it, there's a risk. But because the text is so real and so life-changing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, again, I'm not trying to just brag. You know, but I remember, I remember playing, you know, it was like Med the play Medea. Do you remember that? And I was, I was Jason and had to, like, come in. And in the scene, Medea kills Jason's two children. Yes. And had to enter into that that scene and to feel all this emotion as, like, someone who, like, lost two children. Yes. I'm, like, I'm like 18, you know? Yes. Um, but really trying to do the whole character actor thing. And I remember being off stage and just doing, preparing, just doing yeah. pushups, yeah, yeah, just like course. gotta work myself of up. Course. I get the blood pumping and flowing and then, and then walk on stage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I, I just, I, I never wanted to do that as a Bible teacher. No, I, absolutely. I, I never wanted to get all pumped and hyped. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because there is a preparation before you teach. I, we use a, a, an Anglican church right downtown Montreal on St. Catherine street, which is the main drag of the city where the Apple store is, where the, uh, the the biggest police station is. And so this place is phenomenal. Stained glass windows everywhere. And just next to where I preach is a small little chapel with beautiful stained glass windows. Yeah. You'll see where I'm going with that. And in there, there's Jesus on the stained glass window. A, a, a portrayal picture. of Jesus, of yeah, my wife, my wife hates when I say, hey, there's Jesus. No, it's just a portrayal. There's a portrayal of Jesus on, on a stained glass window. And then it says underneath, come unto me. Yeah. And to be honest, before I preach, I go in the mini chapel, as people do the song before I go preach, and I pray on my knees or standing up, and I look at that portrayal of Jesus in beautiful colors, and uh, I, um, I prepare myself saying, you know, Jesus is inviting me to, to love him, to share his word, but also to get my strength, energy, wisdom, whatever I have, which is very little, from mm -hmm. him. So there is a preparation, which is, as we know, to be spirit-filled. And so in that way, it could resemble whatever acting junk we have to do. Sure. Is, Jesus, fill me with your spirit so that I may speak your word, not with my pride and my stupidity, but with the humility that you must deposit into me and the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So in that way, it resembles some of the little mm -hmm. preparation we talked about. But 
authentic, exactly wanting exactly. to yeah. be genuine and broken before the Lord. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that yesterday, Mike, about brokenness. If you're not broken, you'll break others. You're sharp and yeah. pretentious mm-hmm. and arrogant. And, you know, I came from a large American evangelical Calvary Chapel, 14,000 member church. And when I came to Montreal, my, I, I needed some, a, lot of, a lot of polishing. Mm-hmm. You know what? God mm-hmm. had my number. And for 10 years, he, he deconstructed me. He, mm-hmm. he undid me yeah. until there was very little left. Mm-hmm. And now I think, hopefully, what's left is a bit more like Christ. So when I teach now, it's not the Sebastian of old, but I don't know. It's a guy that's been rebuilt by wow. him, you know? Wow. So... As an actor, you go away from yourself to prepare for your performance, and then, but now you're, we're going kind of deeper and deeper to our, our truest, real self. Absolutely, and you know, again, the self. You know how it is. I think as pastors, a lot of the self has to be <clears throat> pushed aside. I mean, we, you know, we're all Type A personalities. I mean, I, I've been spending time with you mm. and with uh, Chai Brodison, and all you guys are fascinating. You're fun. You're colorful. You're intelligent. You tell funny stories. But if our personality take too much space in the pulpit. Sure. Guess who is lower is Christ. Yeah. I must decrease right. so that he may increase. Yeah. So that's my preparation. Before I go up, said Jesus, you, you fill me. May I speak your word and may Sebastian disappear. You know, some of the great pastors, they won't be named, you know, uh, uh, Asian American passionate guys who write books that make millions. They talk a lot about their life. I mean, I like him and he, he preaches great, but he, uh, a lot about their lives. 20 minute of the preaching is what they're doing. Fascinating because they do fascinating things. Yes. But I want Jesus. Mm. What is Jesus doing? Mm. Not what is so-and-so doing because in relationship to these incredible, incredible men, the rest of us just have an average life. Absolutely. Yeah. And so in, and the congregation are not traveling to New York to come uh, and do those conferences. They're, they're going to work in their, I don't know, office. Sure. And you want to show Christ to them. Yeah. And that's why, you know, we're going to get to that. The, the way I'm teaching now is more Christ, more word, less my wisdom, less MacArthur's wisdom, less Piper's wisdom, less all these men's wisdom. Because these guys in themselves are fascinating. I don't want a man. Right. I was an actor, and I, Shakespeare is better than Piper, <laughs> with all due respect. Oh, no, but you I'll know, fight you on that, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? I know, I know. I know. You know so if you want to compare men, yes. there's great philosophers of old and great thinkers of old that are unimaginably high right. in the, the scale of menhood. Yeah. I don't want that. Okay. I want God. Yeah.